More than 300 American neoliberal fascist business executives gave a standing ovation for their country's party leader on Wednesday after he delivered a brief speech on economics and politics. Unfortunately for America's CEOs, Xi Jinping had to return to China shortly after the speech. Denver, Colorado spent nearly four and a half million dollars shipping migrants out of the state this year. Migrants from Colorado have mostly gone to cities like Chicago and New York, but don't worry, Denver is still super opposed to spending money on that wall. In national news, George Santos will wear his expulsion from Congress as a badge of honor. No surprise there. But he reminds us all that the House of Representatives bears a stunning resemblance to a high-end whorehouse. Biden escapes charges for the exact same crime as Trump. DeSantis eats Newsom for breakfast with a side of jam. AI-powered bathrooms may soon replace your spinal surgeon. And the FBI gets mad at a pedophilic satanic gang for saying the N-word. Find out why we live in a world where these headlines are true on today's episode of History's Greatest Podcast. I'm Eric Giannis, and this is The Eric Giannis Show. Hello, and Welcome back. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I am wishing each and every one of you a very merry Christmas season to come. We have so much to get to today, so let's dive right in. But first, if you enjoy The Eric Yana Show and would like to see it stay on this side of a paywall, we kindly suggest you head to my Substack page, where you can become a subscriber, not only of my podcast, but also of my newsletter, Cato's Letters, covering topics of culture, religion, economics, and politics from a conservative view. Sign up today and you will receive those lovely little presents of conservative genius right in your inbox every week. And even more importantly, for people who act right now and become subscribers today, we are offering a limited time deal to secure your place on Santa's nice list this year, no extra charge. How anyone could pass up on an offer like that is beyond me. Now back to the show. All right. <clears throat> I want to start today with some of the big headlines that came out just this morning. Firstly, I want to take a moment to recognize the death of Sandra Day O'Connor. She died this morning in Phoenix, Arizona of lung disease brought about uh, by her advanced dementia. Whatever you may have thought about her politics, there is no denying that Sandra Day O'Connor was a great woman and a true American. You may not have agreed with her on everything. I certainly know I didn't. But her story is an incredible one, and she doesn't get, in my opinion, nearly enough credit for what she accomplished. The left worships at the altar of RPG so incessantly, you'd think she was the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court. At any rate, Justice O'Connor was a remarkable American and an extraordinary woman. May she rest in peace. Certainly, she will be missed. Moving now from one honorable American to one disgraceful American, 
U.S. Representative and that weird guy from your high school prep club, George Santos, has been expelled from the United States House of Representatives just this morning. Former Congressman Santos, of course, is facing allegations that he stole money from his campaign funds to live an extravagant and luxurious lifestyle while he was at our nation's capital. The ouster of Santos thins the small Republican majority in the House even further and leaves the actual conservative minority in the House completely untouched. But there's no denying that Democrats were at least in part motivated to expel Santos by thinning the Republican majority. This seems evident since while he is the sixth member to ever have been expelled from Congress, he is the first to have ever been expelled without a criminal conviction. The one-time congressman and man who definitely lives off of his campaign funds, George Santos, commented last week that he would, quote, wear his expulsion like a badge of honor, close quote. Here's the interesting part of this story, besides the obvious highlighting of the moral rot in the Republican Party. Santos claimed last week that the only motivation behind his expulsion was to thin the Republican voting majority. And the reason he gives for this claim is that it is well known in the House that virtually everyone abuses their position of power to have copious amounts of extramarital sex and get drunk with lobbyists. Here's the man-child again in his own words, quote, I have colleagues who are more worried about getting drunk every night with the next lobbyist that they're going to screw and pretend like none of us know what's going on and sell off the American people, not show up to vote at all and just give their card out like bleeping candy for someone else to vote for them. This explicative happens every single week. Where are the ethics investigations? Close quote. This comment is interesting for two reasons. Number one, it's an incredibly honest, though technically unverified, report of what's going on in the House of Representatives. And number two, it's so honest, it reveals just how morally ridiculous Santos as a representative of our government is. Because his whole complaint here seems to be, everyone is doing it. Why am I the only one being punished? Rather than see the problem with what he's done alongside everyone else, His main complaint seems to be that he doesn't get to continue his woefully unethical lifestyle because Democrats arbitrarily chose to oust him, and that's unfair. Folks, as if it wasn't obvious already, the Republican Party is not a conservative party anymore. It hasn't been for decades. We, meaning conservative Americans, do not have a majority in any branch of the government. Republicans have a majority. And the Republicans in general do not lead the kind of godly, conservative lives that most of the people who elect them expect them to lead. We've come to such comical levels of corruption and lasciviousness that this guy doesn't see how idiotic he sounds when he makes this complaint. And he's probably telling the truth. And that truth is a very ugly picture of where we are as a country. In other headline news, Governors Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom debated each other this week, and it didn't go well for Newsom. 
I noticed that there was a slew of liberal media videos claiming Newsom mopped the floor with DeSantis making the rounds on YouTube this morning. And frankly, I don't know how anyone could watch that debate and think Newsom won. I'm not going to go step by step through the debate. You can easily watch the highlights for yourself. They're all over the internet and tons of places. But here's the bottom line. The debate touched on everything from education to crime and immigration and so on. And I'm sorry to say to all the liberal talking heads out there, but Newsom got absolutely toasted. He got slaughtered by DeSantis. I saw one particularly popular liberal content creator try to frame the debate as something like, you know, Gavin Newsom was trolling DeSantis. I think with the idea of being that Newsom was trying to look bad so that he could go DeSantis into seeming extreme or, or something like that. And all I could think about was just the excuses people will invent in order to ignore the obvious. The most interesting thing to take away from this debate, so that I'm not just reporting it as just a piece of news, is just how blatantly someone like Gavin Newsom will lie on a debate stage and never be punished for it. And I realize something now, which I think is worth pointing out. This is now a main strategy of savvy politicians. I, I, I imagine on both the right and the left, but certainly it's easier for politicians on the left. The idea is that you could just make anything up as a liberal politician because you know that the fact-checking happens after the debate and that media companies will support you and repress conservative writers who refute what you're going to say. So a prime example of this in the debate with DeSantis, Newsom claimed that Florida schools, despite reopening sooner than California schools, had greater quote-unquote learning loss. He then fired off a mirage of statistics that sounded very official, almost like Newsom knew what he was talking about and with a great deal of confidence assured the nation that Florida lags behind California in a number of key educational areas like fourth and eighth grade math classes, as if Gavin Newsom has ever bothered to look at the academic performance of eighth graders in his state. The only problem with his series of statements is that literally every single statistic he mentioned was made up. Uh, I assume he just made it up on the spot to sound like California was doing better than Florida, but a quick check will reveal that nothing he said was true. Uh, now, many people, including the perennial defenders of the left at PolitiFact, have tried to defend Gavin's statement by citing a McKinsey and Company study that claimed the early, or excuse me, that claimed the learning loss of Florida and California was roughly equal across various different categories. In that report's summary, however, it concluded that the overall learning loss in Florida was slightly worse than, than in California. I couldn't help but notice that the PolitiFact article covering the debate neglected to mention that that same report contradicted Gavin Newsom's specific statements on things like fourth grade math, which even in the McKinsey study, California lagged behind Florida. But at any rate, learning loss, quote unquote, is not a defined quantifiable measure. Math and reading scores are. There have been many other larger studies, I might add, 
performed by Harvard and Stanford that have concluded California's math and reading scores fell behind Florida's, though admittedly, for Ron DeSantis, not by much. And what's worse is that even the McKinsey report concludes that Florida and California are basically identical in their learning loss. So it doesn't support any of the claims that Newsom made about Florida lagging way behind California. Most of the studies I've looked at reveal that both states have had a massive lag in their math and reading scores, as has the whole country, thanks to the COVID shutdown. Not that American education was doing particularly well anyways. And this probably explains, to some extent, why Ron DeSantis didn't address this in the debate. Neither Florida nor California should be bragging about their education systems right now because neither is very impressive. But obviously, DeSantis cannot prepare counterpoints against statistics that are made up on the spot. And that's the way savvy politicians work now. They just lie on the stage as much as they want, knowing that most people are not going to go through the work of looking up the statistics afterwards. And I think, to be fair, I, I think Trump enjoys this to a certain respect as well. And in fact, I, I'm certain that every politician, both left and right, enjoys this to some extent. He can just say whatever he wants, knowing that the debate will continue off the stage, but he already got the soundbite of him saying something that makes him look good. And then there's going to be a slew of conservative pundits who write articles saying, you know, what Trump said was fundamentally correct and so on and so forth. So I think, I think everybody, every, every savvy politician really understands this now. It, you know, the fact-checking happening afterwards is just not enough to really damage your image. And it's better to just look good in a debate because that's what most people are going to base their opinion off of. So today, I think we've already seen a good example of the moral loss in our nation's representatives via the story of George Santos, as well as an example of the way that most American politicians view the truth. And uh, we're looking good, folks. We're looking real good. Let's see how some other Americans are looking. Here's a story from The Daily Wire about 300 business executives who gave a standing ovation to a fascist murderer-in-chief, Xi Jinping, in San Francisco two weeks ago. After a 30-minute speech, the CEOs of BlackRock, Blackstone, Apple, Pfizer, FedEx, Salesforce, and Boeing can be seen leading the charge to give Chinese chairman Xi Jinping a standing ovation. Here's the only thing that I want to point out about the story. Okay? I'm not making a political argument that neoliberal fascist businessmen shouldn't be able to give their hero, Xi, a standing ovation. No, in fact, they have to do that. He is their party's leader, after all, and he pays all of their bills for them. But where is the cultural outrage about this from the left? Where are the protests? Where are the flags that say, free the Uyghurs, free the queers? Where are the signs that say queers for Kazakhstan? Because I've been hearing an incessant high-pitched squeal for nigh on two months now about how Israel is a terrorist state and how Palestine is oppressed. They're living in an apartheid state and so on. Could you imagine the same situation if it was Netanyahu who received the standing ovation? Khalifa Talib would be out in the streets calling for her holy jihad, would she not? We'd be hearing all about how these businessmen support genocide and so on and so on, etc., etc. 
Isn't it interesting just how deafening the silence from the left is over China and its obvious and unrefuted apartheid tactics? The mystery continues. Speaking of the selective outrage of the left, an article from Blaze Media reports that Denver spent nearly $4.5 million this year transporting illegal immigrants out of the city to other Democrat sanctuaries. $4.5 million, I believe, is a magnitude or two greater than what that city would have had to pay in taxes to build the dreaded wall. What's worse is that, like all sanctuary cities, they are now asking for federal aid to handle their humanitarian crisis to the tune of billions of dollars. But don't worry. Denver assures us that its practice of busing migrants out of its city is nothing like that practiced by those awful racist Texans because Denver is asking where the immigrants want to go first. From the article, quote, John Ewing, a spokesperson for Denver Human Services, claimed that Denver relocating migrants to other cities differs from Texas busing migrants out of its state. Ewing said the difference is we're actually asking them where they want to go. However, the DHS spokesperson noted that Denver, like Texas, is also not informing other cities or states before dropping the migrants off at a new destination. Close quote. The mayor of Denver has requested $5 billion in aid to address the migrant problem, a price tag that is surely magnitudes larger than Denver would have had to spend to build the wall or even enforce the law, which would have avoided the problem in the first place. So this is the situation we are now in. If you are an American, a taxpaying citizen living in Denver, you have to pay a $500 plane ticket to travel to Chicago. And you can hope, perhaps, to someday receive pennies on the dollar for your social security payment. But if you are an illegal immigrant living in Denver, you pay zero taxes. You get free housing, free airfare, and a stipend in a city like New York that dwarfs what most people receive in social security. Seems reasonable. Now, folks, I want to move away from all of these divisive stories for a moment. Last week was Thanksgiving, and in the spirit of this great American holiday, I want to join hands with our Supreme Leader Joe Biden in calling for a moment of national unity. I, like many Americans, was touched by Joe Biden's moving remarks on Thanksgiving Day calling for national unity. The NBC reports, quote, Stop the rancor. Biden calls for national unity on Thanksgiving Day. The Bidens phoned in to NBC News' Al Roker before the parade in Manhattan. In brief, upbeat remarks, they said Americans should unite in addressing problems facing the nation. Close quote. The article continues. Quote, Though polling numbers show that the two parties are split on a range of issues, Biden said most Americans would prefer to see the acrimony come to an end. On this Thanksgiving, Al, we have to come together, the president said. We can have different political views, but we have one view. The one view is that we're the finest, greatest nation in the world. We should focus on that. We should focus on dealing with our problems and being together and stop the rancor. Close quote. You see, folks, that's the real Joe Biden. He's just a guy in the middle who wants us all to get along and stop the rancor. 
I couldn't agree more. So I'm proud to join with our fearless leader in calling for national unity this holiday season. In other news, Fox News reports the Biden campaign released a guide of how to respond to, quote, crazy MAGA nonsense from relatives during the holidays, close quote. From the article, quote, the Biden-Harris re-election campaign shared a handy guide for responding to crazy MAGA nonsense for supporters heading into the holidays with Trump supporting family members. The guide shared talking points to respond to conservative rhetoric about subjects from immigration to the economy. One slide included responses to when someone claims Trump secured the border to reply with a, no, he didn't. All he did was separate families, put children in cages, and leave behind a broken immigration system for Joe Biden to clean up, close quote. Ah, Nothing says national unity like preparing political talking points for encounters with loved ones over Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, let's move on. Here's another story from the Daily Wire about a pedophilic satanic gang that got into some trouble, shockingly, with the law. You'd assume, of course, being a normal human, that these gangsters were arrested for, I don't know, pedophilia? But you'd be wrong, because what you don't realize is that this is no longer a country for sane men. No, this gang of twisted, broken freakazoids, which force young girls to harm themselves, got in trouble with the FBI for saying the N-word. From the article, quote, A Satan-worshipping cult of pedophiles is blackmailing girls into cutting themselves. But the FBI didn't seem interested in that, so much as the fact that one of its members once used the N-word. For years, the group known as 764 and Harm Nation has tortured what is believed to be hundreds or thousands of girls. But the FBI didn't put its cyber crimes or violence against children investigators on it. Instead, its interests appeared to have peaked mainly by the group that excuse me, by the fact that the group, most of whose victims are white teens, was once racist to a black girl. The Domestic Terrorism Unit is investigating the Satanist pedophiles for white supremacy. Even though the sole known arrest by the FBI is a Hispanic man who called the judge a cracker in court. Angel Luis Almeida was indicted in January in New York City for charges of sexual exploitation and possession of child abuse sexual material, with prosecutors writing that, quote, the defendant was an outspoken member of 764, a neo-Nazi network, close quote. One of the group's leaders is a 19-year-old called Yuri, who calls himself a femboy, a term associated with left-wing queer culture. Critics say at best it's an example of the FBI misclassifying cases in order to tell Congress that right-wing domestic terrorism is the greatest threat to America. At worst, they say it's an example of the heinous torture of girls by pedophiles not being a priority unless there was an angle making it politically appealing to Democrats, close quote. The article goes on to detail how the group is explicitly anti-white, and yet this will just be the latest in FBI statistics about how right-wing domestic terrorism is being leveled against racial minorities. So I think we've seen today, yet again, that our politics is always downstream of our morality. Our moral philosophy is always prior 
to our political philosophy. It cannot and is never the other way around. The past two weeks have seen a litany of stories highlighting that Americans have let go of concepts about absolute truth, beauty, or goodness. And it's showing up in a big way in our politics. So what's the solution? The short-term solution is to stop voting for people who agree with one item on your political platform. We need real conservatives who actually live a lifestyle that conforms to the traditional moral philosophy of America, not corruptocrats like Santos who know how to say a few nice things that conservatives agree with. We need to stop supporting every drift-win candidate who becomes popular because he says one good thing. But the long-term solution, as I have said a thousand times on the show, is to take back education in this country. Restoring a classical Christian education in America is the single most important fight conservatives have today. We may not live to see that victory, but it is the only way to have a victory at all. All right, I want to leave you today with a funny story from TechCrunch. Quote, Forward Health launches CarePods, a self-contained AI-powered doctor's office. Get a blood test, check pressure, and swab for ailments, all without a doctor or nurse. Close quote. The story, which again you can find on TechCrunch, talks about an upcoming technology that will basically perform all the normal functions of a primary care doctor's office. Um, You should look these things up. Because to me, they basically look like a high-tech bathroom, but they're supposed to go in malls or commercial office buildings so that they can take your blood and run, di- run diagnostic tests for you on like a variety of basic different illnesses, colds, flus, and so on. Quite frankly, I'm not sure why anyone in America would want this product since it's basically a way for your company to tell you that you don't need to take time off to go to the doctor's office because there's one downstairs in the lobby. But at any rate, The future of medicine is here. If I were training to be a doctor right now, I'd be pretty scared. I'd start looking for one of those more AI-secure jobs like writing or podcasting. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Eric Giannis, and this has been another episode of The Eric Giannis Show. As always, thanks for listening.